Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filipovitz. Matt, uh, they won the football game. Somehow, some way, Penn State is 1-0. Uh, very, very stressful start, but uh, I will take it because I feel like nothing is like, nothing derails hype around a season more than like an opening loss. Uh, and I feel like nothing can project excitement like a like a opening win on the road against a Power 5 team. So good spot to be in if you're Penn State. Yeah, Penn State has uh, evidently decided that playing normal season openers is just never going to be a thing they do, in part because the Big Ten keeps <laughs> scheduling them on the road for uh, Big Ten games, and they're starting the season with Big Ten games going forward. The Nittany Lions, of course, picked up a thrilling 35-31 to win in West Lafayette against the Purdue Boilermakers on uh, on Thursday night. It was... Uh, Matt, how, how'd, you, how'd you feel about having your entire Saturday to yourself? Because, you know, heading into the season, I was like, listen, you know, I don't know if I don't know if I love this. I don't like playing on a Thursday. I love being a part of college football Saturday. But I'll, let me tell you this, brother. Once it became time for me to kick my feet up at noon on Saturday and I had nothing else to do, it was like, yeah, I, I, I can actually kind of get used to this. It was great. I was I was going to be worried that um, it was going to be like a, a slow start because the, the nooners were kind of bad. Um, but the, the North Carolina schools uh, decided to go Ooh. ahead and forget how to play football. Uh, so that was at least exciting. But it was good. I actually really liked um, having that, that time off and having that Friday off, too, to watch some of those games. It was I don't know if I do it often, but, you know, to start a season, uh, I will take I will take a little bit of a of an extra extra free Saturday, more or less. Yeah, um, I would uh, I would like it if their Thursday games going forward were a little um easier less little less dramatic i'm trying to think uh past thursday games they've had i know in 2019 i think they played either a thursday or friday game against illinois they didn't in 2021 uh 2020 didn't happen uh yeah oh no it was uh 2019 they went to maryland in the game where uh sean clifford and kj hammer made it rain on them and then the year before that 2018 they played against Illinois. So it's a, it's a thing that has uh, caused a bit of consternation about among uh, Penn state fans. I know the big 10 deciding they're going to move in more of that direction with a few more of these sprinkled into the schedule. But generally it was a, uh, it, it was nice having Saturday to just chill. What wasn't necessarily nice was having to sit through this damn football game. Um, Penn state again, one thirty-five to 31 it was not particularly easy. The Nittany Lions took a lead into the fourth, uh, picked up the lead early in the fourth quarter after uh, Sean Clifford touchdown pass to Keandre Lambert-Smith. Get a three and out after that, and then Sean Clifford throws a pick six to put Purdue ahead 31-28. You know, Matt, if you asked me in that moment, what's going to happen after this, even without acknowledging that even without knowing that Penn State's next two drives would be four plays and then a punt and then a three and out. Right when that pick six happened, I just felt my heart sink. I thought it was, I thought Penn State were dead to rights at that point. I thought that was the end of the Clifford era. Honest to God, in that moment, I thought, I thought they were going to pull the plug. I thought they were going to hand the reins over to Drew Aller. Um, and I thought we were going to just shift uh, what we thought this season would be. Um, but that, that wasn't the cl- case. And, uh, Sean Clifford, I, I got to give the guy credit, man. I, I don't know how he does this, you know, but there's multiple times now where he just finds a way 
to get that win late in games. It happened, you know, going back to like Iowa 2019. Uh, didn't happen a ton in 2020, but that didn't really happen. He did enough for Wisconsin. Like he, he if he was stayed healthy, he would have done enough for Iowa. Like he's done this multiple times. He's not a perfect quarterback, but I mean, you just have to, you know, tip your cap to him. He found a way to get the job done. And, and, and that's all you could ask for in week one. Yeah. We mentioned this on the uh, Instagram uh uh, not the Instagram, the Twitter space that we did after the game, which, you know, real quick, thank you so much to everyone who participated in that, whether you were sending in questions and hopping on to talk with myself. with There was a lot of people uh, in there, I saw. Yeah, there were a lot of people hopping in there. And it was really great to talk to a bunch of Penn State fans. We hope uh, that we're going to get more and more opportunities to do those sorts of things throughout the season. Obviously, the very unique circumstances surrounding this game made it a little easier. But, man... Like we, I said it on the Twitter uh, space, but Gus Johnson mentioned something that Clifford said after Clifford said before the game. He mentioned it at the very end of the game or after Penn State's drive, whatever it was. And it was something to the extent of Sean Clifford believes that he is always one deep breath away from going out there and leading a drive like that last drive that he led. And you know, Clifford was he, he did a nice job. On the drive, I thought Mike Yurcich called a spectacular drive. I don't think they asked him to do too terribly much, and it was a lot of pretty easy throws that, uh, you know, a point that Nick made, and I completely agree with. Sometimes I think he can uh, be his own worst enemy with how he'll overthink some things, and they kind of took that element out of it. But all in all, just, man, the way they ended up winning that football game, the resiliency that they showed, the fight that they showed – the way the defense bore down, we're going to spend a decent amount of time talking about the defense. Don't worry. Yep. Uh, it, it was a, you know, that was about as good of a, a you know, the defense allowed 24 points, about as good of a 24 points and 426 yards allowed as I think you're going to get. But Matt, let's start with just our general thoughts. I mean, we've talked a bit about Clifford. We've talked a bit about uh, that pick six, that final drive. But let's take an even bigger step back. Just give our general thoughts about this game and then anything else you might want to might want to yammer on about. Yeah, uh, they survived. And in week one, it's mm-hmm. it's a clunker week. This is There's no preseason. This is your first true live action you're going to have. So you're going to make mistakes. It's going to look gross. Um, and Penn State was in the unfortunate situation where they had to go on the road to face a 24-year-old starting quarterback. Uh, and, and they had to do so um, coming off a season where the stakes were impossibly high because of the result of that season. So for them to come out there, not play the best game, and still sneak out a win, it is just beyond impressive. So just just a lot of credit goes to them for getting the job done. The young guy stepped up, the old guy, what? What is it? So um, I don't know if you uh, looked at Sean Clifford's Instagram story literally any time in the last five minutes, uh, but there was a, as everyone knows, Sean Clifford left the game uh, at one point and oh he totally uh, had to yes well well Gus Johnson uh and Joel Klatt thought it was his knee he said after the game it was you know uh he wasn't feeling particularly great uh Twitter account at CJ zero if you don't follow CJ CJ tweets out a ton of videos tons of pictures stuff like that he tweeted out Sean Clifford absolutely had diarrhea and just a few moments ago Clifford shared that tweet to his uh Instagram account added dude wipes and just said nil deal oh i figured it was that (laughs) the way he was running i figured it was something like that i i I have cracked enough jokes about dude wipes on twitter that they now follow me so i sean 
on the off chance that you listen to this, I will do everything I can to facilitate this, my guy. But <laughs> nice. no, I, I, I apologize. Please continue, Matt. No, you're good. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you want a clunker. You, you rotated a ton, which I was really excited about. Like, you've got a ton of dudes experience. Uh, what was the number we had it at? Was it seven true freshmen got on the field? Um, which I can't, I don't think that's ever been a number we've hit on the road in a Big Ten game for Penn State, especially in a season opener, no less. To have, is it seven? I'm pretty It was Aller. seven. Uh, Nick, Nick Singleton, Abdul Carter, and boy, can I not wait to talk about Abdul Carter. Uh, Katron Allen, Drew Aller, Omari Evans, Zane Durant, and Denai Denison. Yeah, so it, it was just a great mix of the youth coming out there, showing they can play. And then it was the vets who went out there and made the big plays to win them the game. It was Sean Clifford, uh, Kayvon Lee, who has gotten a lot of crap from a lot of people, and some of it rightfully so, considering, you know, we saw a lot from Singleton and Allen, but he made the play. You know, Mitchell Tinsley, Brenton Strange, it was these upperclassmen that made those big plays, but it was the underclassmen that kept them in the game. So, you know, overall, just just generally, I'm... I'm not ever going to be mad at a week one win, especially when that is on the road at night against a power five opponent that just won nine games. So only positives for me uh, overall. So there's definitely things I can nitpick, but if the issues are still there heading into Auburn, then I'll feel a little bit more concerned about it. But overall, I'm pretty pleased with how things turned out. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think of how much, Penn State has had to get sorted out this offseason. You look at the running backs, it's basically they're getting two brand new players who have never played college football involved, ball before involved. Uh, they lost their guy that caught passes. They lost Jahan Dotson and <laughs> lost Jahan Dotson and replaced him for all intents and purposes with a guy who was at Western Kentucky last year. Offensive line has some new contributors and guys who are being thrust into larger roles. And then on the defensive side of the football, uh, defensive side of the football, literally the entire defensive line, their best defensive line is Maryland transfer, guy who didn't play last year, guy whose season ended due to injury, guy who didn't play last year. The linebackers, Curtis Jacobs was a dude last year. It is then Jonathan Sutherland next to him. And then whatever... Who, who had who had himself a nice game and a combination of guys who did not really play all that much last year. The secondary, very good. Uh, I thought they were the strong point of the game, but that whole defense adds the caveat of new defensive coordinator who wants to do new things. And I think there were some times where we saw that Penn State was figuring new things out. And when you think about what Penn State was able to control in that football game, it was all with that context around it. I thought Purdue played a really good game. I, I think agree. Purdue did what they wanted to do. You know, I think you're going to be able to – people are going to point to things like uh, Charlie Jones, 12 receptions, 153 yards. Uh, he was the guy Joey Porter he Jr. was going Iowa. up against. He, he, the he, Iowa – outgained the entire Iowa offense I, in one you know, game. It, it, I, don't, I don't think that's particularly impressive, but okay. Uh, but you look <laughs> at something like that, and I think – People are going to point to that and say, yeah, Joey Porter Jr. didn't have a great game. He scored one. Purdue's entire game plan was we are going to throw the football. The Throwing the ball is going to essentially be our running game. Purdue averaged 12.3 yards per reception. They averaged three 
yards per game. And I believe two of the guys, yes, two of the guys who carried the ball for them for their two longest games, Tyrone Tracy, nine yards, TJ Sheffield, seven yards. And I think Sheffield had uh, the fumble were both wide receivers. Their running backs were 15 carries, 57 yards, 3.8, 3.8, 4, 14, 3.5. They could not run the football. Everything they were trying to do was the running game, was through the air. And despite that, they got one touchdown through the air. So I think this is going to be one of those games where, yes, obviously stuff to clean up. But when I think of what Penn State, you know, the hints that we got about what Penn State were as a football team, Matt, and correct me if I'm wrong, the hints of what Penn State was as a football team last year in the Wisconsin game. We saw they were a team that was going to have a very, very good defense, but it was going to have the caveat of, you know, this. I, I just don't think this offense is going to be able to get it done. Here, I think the good stuff that we saw here might, at least on the offense side of the ball, might be more promising than we saw out of the Wisconsin game. So let's kind of go back and forth between those two before we dive into some other thoughts. But this is the second year in a row that Penn State has gone on the road in a tough environment and beaten a team in their own building. How do you feel about this win compared to Penn State's win against Wisconsin last year in terms of, you know, when we look back on Wisconsin, we could see some things that were red flags. Do you think that there's anything here that has the potential to kind of uh, pop up like that? I still don't love what I saw from the running game. Um, Mm -hmm. But I will say, I will say, one thing I really did like is that their ability to run with Singleton and Allen and to a lesser extent Lee was more respected by this Purdue defense. And I think that opened up some good throwing lanes. So that's a big, that's a big step forward. And I have this stat pulled up right here. So Penn State averaged 3.1 yards per carry in this game. And that's bad. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that that is good or that's impressive or that's promising. But that would have been their fourth best performance in the Big Ten last year is that 3.1. The only ones that would have beaten that were the Indiana blowout, which I think featured the longest run of the season with the Kayvon Lee scamper. The Iowa game. which which, That was was 40-some-odd yards, correct? Something like that. So it inflated it like crazy, I'm sure. You had the Iowa game where they played the second half with a quarterback who did not know how to throw the football. And the last one is the Rutgers game. Uh, where Sean Clifford and everybody else had the flu and a true freshman quarterback went out there and game managed. So take that for what it's worth. I'm not the kind of guy who like likes to have caveats in there, but it, that's promising. It's a step in the right direction. It's not great. It's not perfect, but I will take that. that that's just yeah. something they can build upon as they figure out what offensive line combination works well. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more Bryce Effner going forward. Uh, I loved what I saw out of Hunter Norzad. Man, what what a find he was, man. And, and I think Tengwell's only going to get better with those reps. And then one last thing I want to make sure I highlight here uh, when compared to the Wisconsin game. Do you know how many Penn State players caught passes in the Wisconsin game? Do you remember? It was like, it was like four. It was four. Do you know how many yeah. caught them for Penn State this week? Uh, I have it up in front of me, so I'm not going to say okay. that, but go ahead. It's eight. So right off the bat, you have – this expansion of talent that Clifford feels comfortable getting the ball out to. That doesn't even consider the fact that Theo Johnson did not play in this game for one reason or another. We think it's injury. He was there in street clothes. Uh, Hopefully he's ready to go. And this was just precautionary. Uh, But still right off the bat, that 
idea that defenses will not have the quote unquote Jahan Dotson to just glue to should open up a lot more opportunities for these tight ends, which I think played a really good game, you know, rough drops, but overall pretty good. Uh, This receiving core, which I mean, KLS, man, what a comeback with that catch. That's a big time play. I hope that's a springboard. Let me tell you this, Mitchell Tinsley. Dog. Dog. We'll talk about him a bit, certainly. Yeah. yeah, and Parker Washington, you got the backs, you know, out in space. That that pass to Lee was was beautiful. Like great route by him. Uh, I love the no gloves. Like I think Kayvon Lee had a tweet that he's never wearing gloves again. I think that's pretty funny. Uh, but it, it, there's just it, there's a lot more for me to be excited about. Like I, again, I think we're we're really fixating on the fact that it was close and it felt like a loss and probably should have been a loss. Like you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda doesn't matter in the win and loss column. Penn State went out there. They found a way to win the game, and the offense did, granted, barely enough. But, I mean, Penn State left a lot of plays out there themselves. Like, even the Clifford uh, pick six, uh, that was schemed really well. Tinsley was wide open. He just airmailed it, which I don't love. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. dropped a a, a should-be pick six. like that. And then uh, Mm. on that possession, they go down there. At least least ball ball inside the nine. At least ball inside the ten. I, I disagree with should be pick six. I disagree. Okay, right. I, 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 I would go as far as to say I don't necessarily agree that should have been a pick. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. But still, he should have picked that ball off. And instead, Purdue goes on the field, scores a field goal. That's a 10-point swing, potentially. Uh, so there were a lot of a lot of plays left out there. Uh, but again, those will be cleaned up. Uh, I, think, I think Ohio can now be really interesting in the fact that you're not trying to figure out what the team is. You're trying to perfect the team now in week two. So... I think I think that could be a, a really good stepping stone into uh into the Auburn game coming up here pretty quickly all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh one thing I'll I will say about uh just real quick, shout out to the Ohio Bobcats. They uh played Florida Atlantic uh this past weekend, picked up a 41-38 win, and I have a couple of friends who were Bobcats. They told me this was the first time since 2018 uh that Ohio has won a football game in the month of September. So uh, oh, cool. good for them. Fun little fun little thing. I just wanted to make sure I mentioned it. at some point the opportunity to do that just popped up. Um yeah I mean I uh, the stuff that I felt it, 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 it's weird. Penn State's defense I like you could just tell it's not going to be the Penn state defense that they had last year. I think not having a guy like Arnold Ebiketti in particular who could just consistently dog a quarterback means that you're just not going to have that. Maybe they're able to get, you know, move in the right direction. I uh, said to a friend after the game, um, Penn state's defensive line didn't, he's a Michigan fan. He said Penn State's secondary played an excellent game, especially considering Penn State's defensive line didn't get pressure. And then I basically just rattled off what I did about their best four-man unit and how I think they're going to get better throughout the year. But mm-hmm. they went into West Lafayette against a pass-happy offense on a quarterback who wants to get the ball out. Boom, 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 boom. And barely got pressure on him. But it still didn't matter because the secondary did such a good job keeping him out of the end zone. So, you know, as we're kind of getting into where we felt best against Penn state's performance, that's where I think I'm going to, uh, that's the big place where I am going to land um, is that the defense put forth, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, the best 24 point allowed and 426 yard performance. I think they could, I Purdue had six yards, uh, uh, reception, uh, six yards per, uh, 
pass by O'Connell, 12.3 yards per uh, reception and three yards per carry. Um, that's really good. <laughs> that yeah. is really good considering what this defense has to kind of figure out and still learn. I mean, they're, this is like their first, you know, when you take Spanish in high school for the first time, this is like their first Spanish test. They're learning a brand new language with a Manny Diaz defense coming in here. And they managed to pass their first test in a very uniquely tricky and difficult test. So yeah. I'm really happy about that. And under the offside of the ball, I'm just like, I'm overjoyed that they figured that they figured out a way to pull this out of thin air. Like I, you know, we'll have a Sean Clifford conversation in a bit. I'm sure if I told the average Penn state fan going into this game that Sean Clifford was going to complete, uh, let, let me, let me just get my calculator out here really quickly. Boop, 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 boop. 54% of his pass is not great, but he would have 282 yards, four touchdowns through the air, another touchdown on the ground, and Penn State would win the football game. I think every single Penn State fan going into this game would be overjoyed. Every single one would go, oh, then I'm like, that's great. There was some Sean Cliffordiness to it, and I think that's going to cause some a bit of concern. And again, that's the thing we're going to talk about. But for the most part, when the offense needed to do things, the offense did things. And now it's a matter of, Let's no longer make it need to do things. Let's just go out and do things. They'll have an opportunity to do that this week against Ohio. But I, I, I'm taking some optimism from that. So, Matt, where are the areas where you feel the best about Penn State's performance on Thursday night? Uh, up front, I, I really liked what I saw. I, listen, this you're not going to rebuild this offensive line in a day. But one thing I want to make sure I call out is that this Penn State offensive line allowed just three tackles for loss. And that would have been the second best performance for this unit in the 13-game slate of last season. The only game they allowed fewer tackles for loss is absolutely insanely to me, the Iowa game. Iowa had two tackles for loss against them in 2021. I, I have no idea how that's even possible considering how that game went. But my my they, guess, my guess, not a lot of tackles for loss, a lot of tackles for no game. Yeah, that that's true, but... Yeah, yeah, that's probably fair. Uh, but, and, and again, th- this actually kind of is like a decent segue into what I want to talk about next in that the running backs did not break the big one. Like they did yes. not have those kind of plays we were looking for, but the offensive line got them beyond the line of scrimmage. They got things moving in a positive direction. And again, with a unit that was as bad as it was last year, you need to take baby steps. And I think they took a step in the definitive right direction today or today on Thursday. Like they only allowed one sack. It was a bad one, you know, and, and I'll give, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that later in terms of, you know, how we're going to handle the Caden Wallace price Effner thing. And a 10 wall got blown up on that play too. And then Norzad came in for a pretty good stretch after that. Like, you know, that's on two guys essentially. So, but, but overall the offensive line, I thought took a really nice step in the right direction. Secondary played pretty well. Aiden O'Connell, I think, was a hair over 70% completion last season. Uh, Penn State held him to 50%. 20% drop. I will take that any day of the week. So that's a really good space to be in. And these transfers, man, like Barney Amore, Mitchell Tinsley, John yes, Robinson. Barney! Yes! Yep. yep. Johnny yes. Dixon. Like, people forget Dixon's a transfer, too, like, just because he's yes. not that immediate guy. Yeah. Like, the, the transfers pl- all played phenomenal, phenomenal roles. Um, I, I have a point. I want to make sure I dog ear on Chop. I'll bring it up. I know we're going to do a little bit of a mailbag. I'll bring something up regarding Chop during that. But I like what I saw out of him. Um, Zaki Wheatley, turnover king. Love it. 
Kalen King eliminated a whole other side of the field. Love it. Uh, Pinnaker, five for five. Good for him. Like, we had kicking problems. Uh, no doubt, Indiana 2020 in game one. And then Stout uh, in 20, I'm sorry, Indiana in 2020. And then Stout in 2021. There were opening game kicking problems. And Pinnaker, five for five on extra points. So, hey, good for him. So, yeah, a lot, a lot to like. A, a lot just to build on. This is not a finished product yet. And it doesn't have to be, which is which is the best part. Yeah, the, the, the one thing I want to respond to was with the running backs not breaking the big one there, you know, uh, Katron Allen, 3.9 yards per carry, Nick Singleton, 2.4 yards per carry. One thing that I think is worth mentioning, and this is something that will come with time and reps for them particularly, is this was probably the first football game that these guys have played in a while where they were not able to just physically overwhelm the other team and the other team's players where it wasn't, we give the ball to Katron and Nick and they just go out there and are better than the guys on the other team because well, they just are. So that that's, that is the thing I want to pay attention to is we're uh, as we're moving on this season, but overall have to be uh, happy with the fact that Penn State was able to come out with the win. Before we get into some more stuff, I want to thank the sponsor of our podcast, Homefield Apparel. Of course, if you are a college sports fan on the internet, you know what Homefield Apparel is. If you are not, Homefield is a premium collegiate apparel brand based out of Indianapolis, right in the heart of Big Ten country. They're Hoosiers. Good for them on the win this week. I apologize to them for having to listen to Tim Brando, but otherwise, congratulations uh, to Indiana on winning this week and Homefield Apparel for getting to say they saw Indiana win this week. Their shirts are comfortable, very unique. They take the time to make sure that the shirts that you get make you feel closer to your school. I Some of the things that I've seen from them are really awesome. Uh, Matt, you have a couple Homefield things, correct? I do, and I wore one. I went out to a bar, the Penn State, one of the Penn State bars here in Chicago. Uh, and some dude in the bathroom, uh, when I was washing my hands, goes, hey, is that a home field shirt? And I'm like, oh, my God, yes, it is. Use promo code Roar Lions Roar at checkout on your first order. <laughs> um, I actually did do that. Uh, so shout out to that guy. So, yeah, I, I love the home field stuff. Their stuff is super cool. Uh, I was the only person at the bar in in my specific designs. That was cool to kind of have that unique shirt because I feel like a lot of people just have those, you know, old school we are Penn State shirts. So, yeah, love home field, love their stuff. Uh, I tried to wear the sweatshirt today. Well, I did wear it to the grocery store. Uh, and I walk there, so I get hot. And I, when I carry my groceries back, and I made it two blocks before I had to take it off. Uh, but it was very uh, cozy. Yeah, it was a bummer. I was trying yes. to flaunt it, but I uh, I wore my Take Me to Happy Valley shirt during the game. That will be uh, that that will be a constant in my game day experience this year. As you can tell, there is Penn State apparel in Homefield's line of merchandise. They had their uh, promotion Big New Saturday which was a, you know, they would launch a new school. Penn State ended up doing the best single day, big new Saturday that they have had. It is no longer a thing. Penn State is forever number one. But if you didn't get any Penn State stuff during that, there are 15 pieces of apparel in their Penn State line. If you are a new customer, if you have never purchased from Homefield Apparel before, use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase for 15% off of your first order. Again, promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase for 15% off of your first order. Thank you to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring this podcast. Now let's get back into talking about Penn State's win over Purdue. And Matt, let's talk about areas where we are a little bit concerned with Penn State's uh, performance on 
Uh, I keep wanting to say Saturday. It's just not, I might say Saturday a few times on this pod uh, just because it keeps like, it's like burrowed into my head that that's when college football is. So it's all the same. It is areas of concern from Thursday night uh, with Penn state's performance. So there's one big one. And I think it's, I think it's the one that you expect. It's, it's Sean, it's the interception. It's Sean Clifford. It's year Mm -hmm. six. Um, The guy was open. He didn't try to force it into a ball into a window. He couldn't. He had time. He wasn't really under pressure. Um, this was a moment in the game where everybody in the stadium figured they were going to run because it was directly off of a Kayvon Lee, I think like eight or nine or 10 yard scamper. Uh, and you're trying to kill the clock. Uh, the guy was wide open and he airmailed it. And I, I'm not calling for, for Clifford's head, um, but we saw Drew Aller. We saw him out there. We see, I think he's the first freshman to see game action on the road in a Big Ten game since Hackenberg. Uh, and I think just the okay. second, this this millennium, the other one probably being Rob Bolden back in 2010. Um, so rarefied air already. Is it air you want to be in? Probably not. Um, but shout out Rob Bolden. Um, we have to have the conversation sooner or later. I don't know if it has to, ha- if, he, if Aller lights up Ohio, it, we're probably going to have the conversation again. Clifford won them a ge- the game. I, I want to make sure I get that. I get that established. This win does not happen unless Sean Clifford is there. He cannot make that throw again, or I think you have to you have to really consider making the move. And, and I don't want to get into this whole hour Clifford discussion, but I, I mentioned this today in our Slack. We were talking about it. Um, Clemson went out there, and they had a situation where they had Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence. And Kelly Bryant played well. He was winning them games. Dabo made the switch to Trevor Lawrence. And what happened to Clemson? They won the national title. USC had Max Brown and Sam Darnold. Max Brown struggled. They went to Sam Darnold. They went to the Rose Bowl. One of those dudes made the call at the proper time, and it won them a national title. The other one didn't, and that one was Clay Helton. And I don't think we have to do it yet. I don't think we have to do it next week. But I think this conversation is something we have to be prepared to have if Clifford makes one more throw like that to lose them a game or to put them in a deficit that's going to require another Herculean effort to get out of. So I, I didn't like that. Again, great that he bounced back. Like that, that's part of the full story. But in terms of things that things that you cannot fix, I don't think at this point you can fix those throws out of Clifford because it was just a bad throw and I get everyone has them. But at year six in that situation, I hate seeing that bad of a throw. So I'll respond with basically two things. One, at the time when Kelly Bryant got pulled, what we had seen from that point was a little bit more of a willingness to go to Trevor Lawrence. And that's why, like, that's why I think it happened. I mean, the, during the season, they played a game against Texas A&M at Texas A&M. And I, if I remember correctly, maybe Bryant got hurt. I don't remember, but like they had a bit of a data point an extended data point on Bryant. And by the time they played against Clems, uh, Georgia tech and they uh, pulled Bryant to put Lawrence in, they had already kind of known and Bryant had not been a good quarterback to that point, that season where he got replaced, he had fewer touchdowns in four games than Sean Clifford had against, uh, uh, against Purdue. And that's why I think that's a little bit different because 
Bryant legitimately was not getting the job. Like he was actively hard. He was not doing nearly enough to win. And yes, that was a bad throw by Clifford. We'll talk about that more and more, I'm sure. But he was also able to, again, throw for nearly 300 yards, five total touchdowns to win the football game. And the difference with Max Brown was the way that season started. USC got throttled by Alabama. Uh, They played a game against Utah State where they won comfortably, and then they lost to Stanford. They were one and two. They were losing football games. They decided to make the decision. So that just just why I think it's a little bit off. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the more broad point, which is, I think arguing about whether or not uh, Sean Clifford is going to get benched is like arguing whether or not the sun is going to rise tomorrow morning, which is sure, maybe something crazy can happen, but it's just baked in at this point. Like, I feel like this is a conversation that fans have, but everyone in the program, like it's not even on their minds at this point. I don't know that for sure. It's possible that I'm wrong. That is just the wager that I am willing to make because you don't make that kind of super ultra drastic change unless something requires a super ultra drastic change. And I don't think this game indicated that Penn State needs that. I agree. You will, right. We, right. We'll, we'll, we have a question about this in a bit. We'll talk about it then. Uh, what I'll say for me, my area of concern was Penn State's linebacker play, uh, or Penn State's front seven play in general. I, I think that the defensive line is going to figure some stuff out. I mean, you look at uh, snap counts from uh, PFF is assembled by Blue White Illustrated. It's very obvious they who they think their four dudes are along the defensive line. Hakeem Beeman at 51 snaps, PJ Musgrave 50 snaps. The next closest guy at defensive tackle was Devon Ellis. Defensive ends, 60 for Adisa Isaac, 57 for Chop Robinson, Next was 42 for Nick Tarver and then nine Dennis Sutton with nine. We know who they want out there and we went through the circumstances under which those guys are there. So I think that this game wasn't really, uh, there was, it was really hard for them to succeed both with how Purdue wanted to play and yeah. the circumstances of those guys playing. I am a little bit concerned about the linebackers. Um, I would argue that, Something like Charlie Jones, 12, 153, and 1 is not necessarily indicative of Joey Porter Jr.'s name because I thought he played a fantastic game. You know, I was, I thought in the aftermath, uh, there was a, I can't think of the name of the podcast, but it's hosted by former uh, Pittsburgh Steelers defensive back Ryan Clark. And he asked Derwin James, one of the NFL's best, best, best defensive backs, who are the toughest guys to cover in the league? And I, the first person he said, I think was Devontae Adams. It was one of those guys you expect. And the guy after that was Hunter Renfro of the Oakland uh, Las Vegas Raiders apologies and his argument was basically when you have a guy who's that crisp of a route runner who is that good at getting open having to cover him is hell and he was just killing Penn State on slants on drag routes on stuff to get him across the middle of the field in part because Penn State's linebackers were just kind of vacating that space there uh I'm a big believer in Curtis Jacobs. I think Jonathan Sutherland had a nice game, all things considered. I think Tyler Elsden and Kobe King both showed they have ways to go. Um, I think Abdul Carter got kicked out for one of the single worst targeting calls that I've seen in my entire life. That was bad. Uh, if you're not, that was bad. If you're not allowed, if you're not allowed to reach for a football on the ground when the referee hasn't blown their whistle, like don't play football. Like you should not be allowed to play football. Like there was a. There was a little earlier in the game, uh, 
Penn State brought a corner blitz. They threw it over the top. I forget. It wasn't, might have been to Jones. And Jire Brown had a chance to basically put the guy in the hospital and he picked no. And it came before the Abdul Carter thing. But when the Abdul Carter thing happened, I basically went, that's why he didn't do it. Because look at how dumb these referees are. They would have yep. tossed him out of the game for that. Uh, oh, yeah. But on the whole, I think Penn State's linebackers have a way to go. They have. It's a unit of almost exclusively new guys. The guys who register snaps at linebacker, Curtis Jacobs, obviously, and then Tyler Elsden, Jonathan Sutherland, Kobe King, Dom DeLuca, Jamari Budden, Abdul Carter. That group has a way to go. And I think there is a lot of limitations in that group. I think Jacobs is the guy who kind of runs around and erases things. Um, but I think Elsden and King, as they're Mike linebackers, they're going to have to learn uh, a lot in not a lot of time, especially once they go down to Auburn and they're going to run tank bigs. We had him over and over again. Dom DeLuca played a nice game, but he's a young guy. I mean, he's a walk-on. He has his limitations. Jonathan Sutherland, new to the position, played a nice game, all things considered, but still has his limitations. So that's one thing I'm going to be dog-earing is we uh, go throughout this season. It's just what do we get out of Penn State's linebackers? Because er, Penn State's front seven in general, with the caveat that I think the front is going to get better as the year goes along. Uh, there were some times, especially on that last play, where you could just tell Chop Robinson fires himself out of a cannon. I think he yeah. was more of a, th- I think he was more of a three-four edge rusher uh, yeah, for Maryland, Maryland last year. So he's learning a new position, putting his hand down in the dirt like that. But you can just tell the talent's there. And then it's a lot of guys who are coming off of injuries and not playing football. So they'll they'll figure some stuff out. But linebackers will will figure some stuff out. I know you mentioned you thought Jonathan Sutherland had a good game. Yeah, I was really impressed with him. I like him in that kind of chaos role. Um, you know, the pass rush is is what it is. This is an offense that wants to dink and dunk you. Like it, it's the thing that teams did with Shaka Tony and Odafa Owe back in 2020, where they didn't have mm-hmm. the sack numbers because they had to get the ball out uh, in like two and a half seconds. And, and this is still a young linebacker core. Uh, so that's I think why the, the sack numbers weren't really there. And I will say on two of the plays where Purdue had to run intermediate to deep routes uh, was the Johnny Dixon sack because they were able to get pressure with a unique Mm -hmm. blitz. And the other one was the Hail Mary where Chop Robinson just ate the tackle uh, and forced um, Aiden O'Connell just to, just to get the ball out. And it didn't even matter because there was zeros on the clock. So I think that's more of an, uh, a situational thing with the way Purdue plays football more than it's a reason for, excessive concern uh for the defensive front um yeah but but going back to Sutherland I just thought that's it's a better role for him I think he plays better not out in space and I like that he can kind of create chaos in the pocket uh when he gets he's able to get behind the line of scrimmage yeah that's fair and I think that's a it's a good time to start talking about questions comments whatnot that listeners sent in for this game uh let's start with DKW um (coughs) excuse me you need to watch the fumble recovery play, which, just aside, what a, what a goddamn play by Zaki Wheatley. He's a dog. We'll talk about this at the end of the, end of the question. Uh, you need to watch the fumble recovery play and keep your eyes on Joey Porter after the play. He's a weird guy, all in on weird guys. I ended up looking, and he was just like stiff as a board on the ground as like a celebratory way, not in a I have a concussion way. It was very weird, but you could tell that guy's just wired a little bit differently. Uh yeah, let's talk about that uh, because I, I tweeted this out. I legitimately think that sequence of Penn State getting, forcing that fumble there 
and then going down and scoring completely changed the course of the entire football game. I don't think you could say enough good things about that play by Zaki Wheatley, the job that Joey Porter did to uh, shed a block and fall on the ball before it went out of bounds. And then going back the other way, Sean Clifford, um, when he was just rolled out of the pocket, flicked it downfield to Brenton Strange, and then the effort that Strange did in the uh, in light of some absolutely abysmal tackling by Brady. Yeah, I, I, this is what the Diaz defense wants. They want to create plays like this. And it would have been cool to see an interception, but for a guy in the secondary to go out there and make a play um, in space, mm-hmm. like that's just a hell of a play in space for a young guy. Yeah. And, you know, Porter Porter was put in a blender for a lot of the night um, because they just targeted him, targeted him nonstop. So well, I think well, can, that, I, can I can I can I interject there? Yeah, I don't think they were targeting him. I you think Kaylin King shut it down. On the other end, no. Okay, I think that the one guy that Aiden O'Connell completely trusted is Charlie Jones, and I if you go back and watch, Porter was just the guy on Charlie Jones, yeah. and I don't think they were they were targeting Porter. I think they were just trying to feed Jones the football. And candidly, I think Penn state was happy with that because again, Purdue had one touchdown through the air on the evening. And that one touchdown was to Charlie Jones when he was near, he starts that play with Porter, I believe on him. And then just ends up on the complete other side of the field and it becomes someone else's job. Like I think, I think if you look at the 12, 12, 153 and one for the guy that Porter was checking, it doesn't seem that impressive, but I think he did exactly what they wanted him to do. And then you add in the like six uh, pass breakups or whatever he had. I think he had one hell of a game. And uh, Penn State football just announced that he was the defensive play of the game. Oh, nice. Hmm, good he, for uh, just for, just for, uh, just, you know, for posterity's sake, offensive players of the game, Kayvon Lee and Olu Fashanu, defensive player of the game, Joey Porter Jr., uh, special teams player of the game, Barney Amor. He deserves that. Yeah, Barney. Yeah, Barney's the man. Good for, good for Barney, man. That's such a cool story. Um, yeah. But yeah, I feel like, you know, recovering that fumble has to do wonders for your psyche when, you know, you have a team just nonstop throwing at you, uh, you know, for a whole half. So, you know, good for JPJ, good for Wheatley. I'm excited to see what that duo does, you know, moving forward. Uh, and just curious to see what that secondary actually looks like when they face a little bit more of a balanced passing attack. Mm-hmm. I think that's completely fair. I think, I think everyone in that secondary has the exact amount of like, swagger and uh, you know our you know rlr alum hopefully guy we have on to talk about basketball eric gibson i think the word he kept using was psychos um yeah which i love yeah you've <laughs> really, got to be a psycho really, to be a corner you do uh yeah. so i give them a ton ton of credit i thought again i think porter played a great game and i think that sequence won the game for penn state because at the bare minimum if they don't force that turnover and go down and uh, force that turnover, go down and score, and it's not 21 to 10 going into the locker room. It's 14 to 10. Purdue gets the football out of the break. And Penn State had not just done the sort of thing that takes the air completely out of the stadium. So, mm-hmm. like, I think that was just, like, I legitimately, again, I legitimately think that sequence won the game for Penn State. Uh, Let's move on to a few more things. Uh, These are uh, very defensive-minded. JV3 uh, asks, where were the defensive ends, especially the first three quarters? Harry, uh, I feel like I expected more pressure and aggressiveness from the defense. Are they maybe saving some things for later? Ray, the defense 
definitely struggled to stop the pass. How much of this is a concern? Purdue just doing their thing, adjusting to a new scheme from Diaz or the defensive line, not getting enough pressure. Uh, Matt, you you can respond to all of those. You can respond broadly, whatever you want to say. We, it's a lot of stuff that we've touched on, but yeah, just uh, just giving yourself the uh, opportunity to answer some of that stuff. It feels like the anchor point of all those questions are a, a bit of a frust- frustration with the defensive line and their ability to get home. And again, I think that comes back to the way Purdue runs their passing attack. Um, just in the sense that they run slants, screens, like Penn State, they view those short passes as an extension of the running game because they have no running game. Um, so I, I, I'm not really worried about it yet. Again, it's definitely something I want to make sure that we're, we're watching. But again, anything that they really ran of those intermediate to deep routes, uh, they got sacks on two of those plays. And one was a really well-designed corner blitz. Um, and I he, Diaz ran a couple corner blitz, which I actually really like. Uh, I'm excited to see those dudes eat in space behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, and, and then, again, the other one was Chop Robinson showing that he can be that force. Um, I'm excited to see what it looks like against like an Auburn that that isn't going to run slants, bubble screens, those quick passes that's going to look to have plays develop you know, beyond five or ten yards. So I think we're going to get a much better idea of what that group looks like in, let's say, like late September. Um but as for right now, like I, I definitely be concerned about it, but I wouldn't say that this is going to be a unit that takes a massive step back. Uh, because even like you mm-hmm. said, like Chop new to the position as a hand of the dirt uh, edge rusher, PJ Mustafer played what was it fifty snaps coming off an ACL injury. Good for PJ, man, that's awesome. Hakeem Beeman uh, hasn't played in a year. Adisa Isaac hasn't played in a year, so they're only going to get better. And I think as far as playing against that scheme, they played decently so we'll take that as a win yeah i mean i think you know you have to it, w- one thing that i know sports fans hate doing and i'm certainly the kind of person who does it sometimes you just got to tip your hat to the other team yep. um the way that purdue plays offense and the way that they are able to throw the football i mean it, it's very impressive last year purdue had the second best passing attack in the big 10 uh, Ohio State was at 381 yards a game. Uh, Purdue was at 355, and Purdue was fifth in the Big Ten in total yards per game. They could not run the football at all, and they were fifth in scoring offense as well. Like this is just what Purdue does, and they were doing it against a defense that is again still learning and figuring out what they are doing under their brand new defensive coordinators. So that's kind of my very broad. Um, broad view on things. I I think that as the year goes on, they will start to clean some of that stuff up. Um, This was not a game for them to blitz like crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to Harry's question, more pressure and aggressiveness from the defense. Um, I think that if Penn State was blitzing with, you know, six or seven guys, I think they would would have been absolutely dead to rights. I mean, yep. the one thing that O'Connell does so spectacularly well is he gets the ball out quickly and accurately on guys who are able to get open on those little underneath routes really quickly. Yep. Um, I think that's a huge problem. That that's a, a, a nuisance. And I think Penn State did a good job turning that into a nuisance as opposed to a huge problem. 
you know, for a guy of O'Connell's caliber, 29 for 58, uh, exactly 50% completions, 356 yards, 6.1 yards per attempt, one touchdown. That's not a particularly good night. He is going to have, even if his yardage isn't as high, he's going to have a lot better nights than that. And I think there was just, I, I also think there was just an element of survive to this football game. And they did a good job surviving in this football game. Uh, moving on to the next question from Spaceballs, the account. Ohio State impressively took down the number five team in the country in week one, while Penn State struggled mightily against a team that is projected to be a seven-ish win team. Safe to say the gap is widening between us and the top of the pile. Uh, so uh, something many of you might not know about me is I have a girlfriend uh, who went to Ohio State. And at halftime, I basically had to drop everything I was doing and go watch the game because she was such a nervous wreck with how poorly Ohio State was performing. Um, what... One of the quarterbacks in that game went 24 for 34, 223 yards, 6.6 yards per attempt, and two touchdowns. And that quarterback was the guy who I think is going to win the Heisman Trophy in C.J. Stroud. He had a less productive night than Sean Clifford did on boop, 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 uh, four fewer attempts. So uh, three fewer attempts. I'm sorry. So I actually disagree with the general premise of that question. Uh, I think Ohio State's defense played a great game, Matt. Um, I think Notre Dame's offense probably made it easy for them to play a great game. I still think they played well. I don't think Ohio State's offense was nearly as good as uh, you expect out of Ohio State's offense. But as a general thing, to get to the last part of that question, yes, I think the gap between Penn State and Ohio State is really large this year. I think Ohio State is my pick to, at the bare minimum, make the national championship game. I think they're winning the Big Ten. I think they're making the playoff. I think they're winning their first playoff game. And then uh, Lord knows what happens against a pissed off Alabama team. But, or Georgia, man. I don't know if you saw that one. Or, or Georgia. Ooh, Jesus. Lord. Jesus. Bo, Bo Nix. Uh, say it Bo a prayer Nix, for you, my brother. Bo Nix is what people think Sean Clifford is. <laughs> I, oof, boy, that's a, that's a very mean thing. Um, <laughs> that's uh, – I, I, so – yeah, I, I don't think there is some perpetually growing gap between Penn State and Ohio State where like Penn State is just kind of stuck in an area between like Maryland and Michigan State or something like that. I think this is a really good Ohio State team. I think this Ohio State team is going to beat Penn State. I don't think Ohio State was nearly as good as you might think based on beat the number five team in the country. Um. And I would also say, again, if I just read off the stat lines that C.J. Stroud and Sean Clifford had on Saturday, on over this weekend, you would take Sean Clifford's game over C.J. Stroud's game 10 times out of 10. So those were just my general thoughts when I got that question. I, I apologize for rambling. I just had a bit of a different perspective as the person who is stuck in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Matt. What what, uh, what what do you have to say to that? I mean, there's a gap. Ohio State outspends Penn State like a crazy amount. Like all their assistants. No, are no, making... no, 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 no. You you're you're not allowed to suggest that it might be uh, a money thing. You have to suggest that it's because James Fraudlin is here, and yeah, Ryan yeah. Day is, and and Ryan Day is the second coming of, uh, you know, he's offense Bill Parcells. I guess. I yeah, don't know. I, I don't know. It's weird. Like. I, 
Penn State doesn't just spend like Ohio State does. Like, let's just call it how it is. Like, they're they're at a different point in the program, and a lot of it is an interest thing. Like, I forget where I was reading this, but like the pro teams being awful in Ohio for forever made Ohio State the biggest name in that state. Penn State is never going to be the biggest name in football in Pennsylvania because people love the Eagles and they love the Steelers. Uh, so, so right then and there, you're already at a disadvantage in that people aren't going to be as interested in you um, as they will be with the Buckeyes. And, and I don't want to get into this whole point. This feels like very off-season content. Um, but the, the gap, is it widening? Yes, uh, which makes any loss Ohio State suffers to a team uh, within the Big Ten uh, even more unacceptable uh, to their fans, uh, which is always really funny because these are 19, 20, and 22-year-olds uh, playing a sport for free. So mm-hmm. uh, and it, there's a gap. I don't know if it's getting wider. I hope it's not. Uh, go state, abandon the Big Ten East, break up the division. Yes. I, uh, I texted my girlfriend that question and I said, I'm excited to reveal to the people. I have a girlfriend who was melting down until basically midway through the fourth quarter. And she replied, that is a fair breakdown of what happened. It was a two score game. It was unacceptable. IMO. Uh, and then to that second point, as a Cleveland sports fan, all I ask, all I ask for is my college team to dominate always because I need one good team. So see, that's exactly. That's my point right there. Uh, uh, one, one, one thing I'm going to throw out there. We just uh, got it. So did, did I even send these over to you, Matt? No, I didn't. I, I have, I, I haven't pulled up. Oh, okay. So the I, have, I have the keys. From... To, I have the keys to plug Twitter too. Don't worry. Yes. Uh, from Sean Steyer, uh, this strict series by running back rotation is word. I won't say on the podcast, but it begins with an F and rhymes with ducking miserable. Uh, it's actually a really good point. What did you, uh, what did you think about that? Because I know during the game, it was something that really, uh, I will say for lack of a better word, grinds my gears. Yeah. I wasn't happy with it. Um, but then Kayvon Lee goes out there and makes the play of the game. So well, cause that's, go- the thi- that's the thing. Like we're not going anywhere. We were, fr- we we're frustrated about the running back by committee thing because it took snaps away from the freshmen and gave them to a guy in Kayvon Lee who, uh, we'll say is less aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. I, I, look, I, I get why you're doing it. It's on the road. It's these freshmen's first college action. I get it. Frank would even said in the presser that he's going to keep riding the hot hand. And there was no hot hand. There was no big run. If one guy wanted to get the lion's share, you got to break the run. The runs maybe weren't there as often as we were hoping for, but there were definitely lanes that I think, you know, Kayvon Lee specifically didn't hit for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to see it, embrace it. Uh, real quick, shout out Devin Ford. Uh, great catch yeah. on fourth down, man. I want the world for that dude, for that kid, man. He is just, what? what's like a, a special kid to be able to just stick it out and want to continue to make an impact knowing that his role is going to be that that gadget play on fourth down and pretty much it. So good for him, man. That, that's, a cool, that's a cool moment from the game. Um, but this isn't going anywhere. Uh, maybe we'll see a little bit of a separation from the freshmen against Ohio, just because I think it'll be a blowout. Um, but it's not great, but I don't think it's going to go anywhere. And listen, if it keeps guys fresh uh, for maybe a, a have to potentially grind it out drive to seal a game in October or November, I'm, I'm fine with it. If it preps them for that. So we'll have to just wait and see how it evolves. <clears throat> That's fair. Uh, what I basically say is it, it's go. I, I have a hunch that it's going to go away if someone takes it. Yep. I, I do think it is that easy. If someone mm-hmm. is able to go out there and say, this is my job, we're not going to get, um, you know, this is a Nick drive. This is a cave on drive. This is a K on drive, blah, 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 just over and over and over. If 
Nick Singleton or Catron Allen or Kayvon Lee can go out there and give Penn State seven carries for uh, 50 yards on a drive, it's their job. It is mm-hmm. straight up their job. They're, they're not going to do the rotation. I do find it a little annoying because the other side of that is you're right. No one took the job, yep. but also no one really got an opportunity to take the job. Uh, if you look at the snap counts, Catron Allen, and, and, and I'll add in the uh, the play total because I do find this very interesting. I'll actually go bottom to top. Devin Ford, uh, four plays. All four of them were pass plays. Kayvon Lee, 23 plays, 14 pass plays, nine rush plays. Nick Singleton, 24 plays, 12 and 12 split. Katron Allen, and this fascinated me, 28 total plays, 19 pass plays, nine run plays. So wow, I, th- I think if you're just going off of that, one, we see what Devin Ford's role is, obviously. Two, <clears throat> Kayvon Lee was in there primarily as a guy. You know, he, he was a guy who they felt a little bit more comfortable on passing plays. I was fascinated in Katron Allen being out there for 10 more pass plays than he was run plays. And then Singleton seems like a guy they think they can be a little bit more balanced with. So mm-hmm. once again, once someone wins that job, they're taking it and they're going to have it. And then the other guys are just going to have to figure out how to work within those confines. But we will see um, this week against Ohio and then going forward, what Penn state gets and what Penn state ends up doing. Uh, Last question that we got, this one is from Chris D'Amato. What would it take for Drew Auer to supplant Sean Clifford as the starter? Also given the lack of progress with Sean, what's the team ceiling this year? Um, you want, you want to take one half of that first and then I'll take the other half of that first and you can go with whichever one you want. Yeah. With Cliff and the way the roster's built and the fact that they have gotten past their first losable game, the ceiling is 11 and one. I, th- I thought it was 10 and two going in. It's 11 and one now. So uh, there's enough talent around. There's enough dudes who can catch the ball, um, you know, eight of them, which is a really good place to start, is considering it was four at this point last season. Uh, the, f- the ceiling's 11. Um, probably not a playoff appearance, and I know that's what we're all clamoring for. Um, I personally want one before the college football playoff expands to 12, um, but that can be a whole other podcast, my thoughts on that, which everyone says are bad. Um, but I, I – I, the ceiling's 11 wins, um, and I'm not sure what the ceiling with Aller is. I think it can be higher, but I'm not sure if it can be higher as true freshman Drew Aller. I think second and third year Drew Aller raised that ceiling to that potentially special, special, special season. So right now the, the ceiling is, is very, very good. And that's kind of where I'll, where I'll plant my flag there. Yeah. I mean, it's a... It's a, a, a thing that uh, Thomas Frank Carr of uh, BWI mentioned. Uh, you know, I like I was just goofing around on Twitter one day and I was saying that, you know, based on one of his throws. Uh, yeah, this guy's the next Josh Allen, blah, 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 blah. And he, T. Frank made the point, a very good point, which is, yes, Josh Allen right now is the most unique, one of the most uniquely talented quarterbacks in football. But he sucked for a few years. He needed to take a whole lot of lumps in order to get to a place where he could be this guy. So just that caveat, that grain of salt of, yeah, you can have it all, but you have to learn how to use it. And uh, I, I actually 
do think that down the road, Drew Aller can be a national championship caliber quarterback. I just have like, we haven't seen enough to see that. The thing with Sean Clifford, and this is the thing that like keeps getting lost in the Sean Clifford dialogue is that Penn State's won a New Year's six game with him as a quarterback. Penn, like Penn State has made and won the Cotton Bowl as an gone 11 and two. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think Levis started the last game last regular season game last year. But Penn State has achieved incredible highs with Sean Clifford as quarterback. And getting past this game, uh, this very tricky game with Clifford having the game that he did, where there was some good, there was some bad. I mean, the thing with Sean Clifford is that he's a college quarterback. Like, there are going to be stretches where he looks absolutely horrible and then stretches where he looks like a guy who's able to get it done. There are a lot of guys at major programs who are like that. And the reason that Penn State's not a national championship is championship caliber team is because of what happens in those bad moments with him. But the reason that Penn State can be a team that wins double digit games is because of what he does in those good moments, his understanding of the offense, all those sorts of things. Uh, so that's what I basically say. I think the team ceiling this year is they could be a New Year's Six team. I won't put a. Um, I won't put a win total on that, but I will say they could be a team that makes the New Year six. Um, what would it take for Aller to supplant Sean as the starter? I truly believe it is an injury or it is uh, being bad in a specific way because this is, a, you know, this is a conversation that we had a little bit earlier today with some friends, Matt. Like, do we really think that, they would put Drew Aller in as Penn State's quarterback if the defense can't stop every – if the offense is scoring, the defense can't stop anything. And uh, as a result, they're losing games, you know, 42-38. I don't think so. I think they'd keep Clifford in and let him keep putting up numbers as, you know, he's ending his Penn State career. If the offense struggles, but it's because the offensive line – can't potentially block anyone. Are they going to put Drew Aller out there and potentially develop Christian Hackenberg syndrome? I don't think they would do that. So this is why where like my issue with this conversation comes in from a pure football perspective, I need to know the context under which people want Drew Aller to be Penn state's quarterback. And then I can say whether or not I think he can get the job. But as of right now, the one thing I am very confident in saying is that if Sean Clifford gets hurt, and this is this is a step forward for Aller. This is a step forward for Aller. If Sean Clifford gets hurt, I think Drew Aller should be the guy. Coming into the season, I thought it was Christian Bayer. Like, I thought he should have been the guy as the guy who's been out there and has known what to do. We saw a couple of glimpses for him, Aller, and I want to see him continue to build on those in very controlled settings. Mm -hmm. That's why I think he, what he has done so far is progress. But as of right now, the only way I will say Drew Aller should supplant Sean Clifford as starter because of how how big that conversation is, how many things potentially go into it, is Sean Clifford gets hurt. Like I don't in, like I don't think Penn State's a national championship contender if Drew Aller um, t takes over for Sean Clifford. This year, I don't think Drew Auer playing this year necessarily impacts Penn State's ability to win a national championship next year or the year after that with him in town. That's that's all fair. Um, my lone pushback is you, you made the point that 
there are college quarterbacks all over the country who play like Sean Clifford. A little bit of good, a little bit of bad. We think Drew Aller is the kind of quarterback not every college in the country has. And I know we haven't seen enough. We have not – four passes is not enough, even though three of them were beautiful. Um, like really, really – especially that one to Tyler Warren that he dropped. That was one of the best throws I've, sh- I've seen. Um, and considering that throw happened on September 1st of his true freshman season – uh, makes me think he has he has it like he has capital I it. Um, I think we can have this conversation in October. Uh, I think after Central Michigan, I think after we've seen extended run of him, hopefully against Ohio and Central Michigan, I think we have to have this conversation because um, right now, what are we all kind of snickering at? Is it in the Michigan uh, situation that Cade McNamara wins games, but McCarthy's better? Are we heading to that? And do we want to head to that? Um, or do we rip the Band-Aid off, um, even if it hurts us in the short term to benefit us in the long term? And again, this isn't a conversation I want to get into. I don't really know where I stand yet on this. Like, I, I have to see multiple drives of Drew Aller before I can have this opinion. But from those four throws, that series, and from the fact that he is the five-star, if Penn State's ever going to win a national title... It's with a guy with the pedigree of Drew Aller. Um, so it's just so such a unique situation to be in. Um, and again, we can do a whole podcast on this. Maybe we will one day this week or next week. Um, but I think it's going to take a lot to get it to happen. Um, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that this change could happen at some point this season. Yeah, I mean, the only, the only way I can see after Central Michigan having this is like a serious conversation. And mm-hmm. again, yeah. It, it does not matter if we are having this conversation. Like, it does yeah. not matter at all. What matters is what James Franklin, what Mike Yurisich, what people at Penn State's office think. The only way I could see this being a conversation people that they seriously have is if Clifford leaves the Auburn game, Aller comes in and wins them that football game. That is the only way I could see it happen. Truly, the only way I could see it happening. Otherwise, well, then, well, at that again, point, it's not a conversation. You do it. Yeah. If he, if he wins the Auburn game, it's not a conversation. Aller is your starter. If Auer comes in and wins on the Auburn yeah. game, it's not a conversation. That's a decision already. And again, again, it depends. It depends on how he does it. If he's just a handoff merchant and then he completes mm-hmm. a, a few throws on like third and fours over the middle, like that's one thing. If he's actually going out there and straight up winning the game, then yeah, it becomes something else that we talk about. But I truly do not see a scenario where between Purdue, I mean, between where we are now and in the lead up to the Northwestern game on October first, where. Aller is going to be able to just straight up take the job away. And that's what I think it comes down to. He has to take the job because you look at that schedule and it just nothing in there lends itself to me to Sean Clifford is going to do so much bad stuff, so much inexplicable stuff, so much hurting Penn State stuff that he is going to outright lose it. And when our plays against Ohio and Central Michigan, assuming that happens, it's going to be because Sean Clifford got him in a position to play. So that's where I think this becomes tricky. It's something that we're going to be talking about throughout the season, I'm sure. Uh, but again, it doesn't matter unless James Franklin goes out there and uh, decides he wants to have this conversation. Real quick, can um, I say something on that Ohio yeah, game ahead. real quick? Um, go ahead. I have never heard – and I've been I've been to Franklin Press Conferences. I, I did them for two and a half years while, while with the blog um, when we were a written medium. 
Um, Franco made a comment in the postgame presser against Purdue that he's hoping to give Aller run in the Ohio game. He has never made a statement like that, like assuming that it's going to be a blowout. I think no matter what, we're going to see Aller. I think no matter, even if it's even if it's tied, I think they're going to let Drew Aller get a couple series. I have never heard Franklin make a statement implying a blowout ever in my life. Like I, I've never heard him say a comment remotely close mm. to that. I think he kind of tipped his hand there a little bit with that verbiage. Um, and I think we're going to have to see Drew Aller get a couple drives, um, not in garbage time in that game. Like I, I just, I've never heard him say something like that before. Um, That's fair. But yeah. So I, I think we're going to see Aller no matter what, which hits the over on the one yeah. and a half uh, games, it games does. I have him playing in. So that was yeah, good timing I, for me. Yeah. I uh, hope Christian Bayer is okay because yeah. it's a, uh, Unless it legitimately was just straight up Drew Hour winning the quarterback job, which cool for him, mm-hmm. you know, great for him. Uh, any any final things you want to add before we uh, before we end this episode of the pod? No, that's all I got. Are we are we doing game balls? Oh, we should do game balls. I forgot about that. My bad. Uh, game balls. Let's hand them out. Uh, we'll do what Penn State did: uh, one offense, one defense, one special team. So you're giving them two. Oh, I want to do more. Um, or, 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 well, nah, nah, because I know, we'll, I know. Then, then we'll just sit here and just hand them out to a bunch of different guys. But yeah, go ahead. Brenton Strange deserves love, but I can't give it to him. Olu deserves love, I can't give it to him. I'm going to give offense to Keandre Lambert Smith. I know we had a couple bad drops, but the story with him has always been all the talents there. It's just that once he make he makes a mistake, he lets it spiral. Going out there and scoring that touchdown, I think, is going to be a launching point. So, offense, give me Keandre Lambert Smith. Um, defensively, Daquan Hardy. I don't think we mentioned him yet. Somehow, uh, Daquan Hardy is that dude. He made big play after big play. He plays like he's six foot five, despite the fact that he's five foot nine. He is. He deserves mm-hmm. the world, man. I I'm so happy Penn State took him in their class, um, and I'm really excited to watch his role continue to develop. And special teams. Uh, I'm not going to give it to Barney Amore, believe it or not. I'm not going to give it to Jake Pinnaker, believe it or not. This is going to go to Dominic DeLuca for tackling Charlie Jones on that last kickoff after Penn State scored the game-winning mm. touchdown because for years, every kickoff was a touchback and the coverage team never really got that much game action and the kick was to the reigning Big Ten returner of the year and Dom DeLuca brought him down inside the 15, I believe. So a play that will never mm. really be talked about ever um, but for Dom DeLuca, walk on, redshirt freshman, to come out there on the road, bring down the Big Ten returner of the year, set that offense back a little bit further than they would have wanted, uh, and set up that drive in favor of the defense is a play that I think had immense value. So just big shout out to Dom DeLuca. That's a play that, um, again, will be forgotten to the sands of time like we all will eventually. Uh, but that was a cool moment. Uh, offense, I'm going to give it to Mitchell Tinsley. I mean, I'm, I'm in love with this dude. I think that, I think that, uh, when Parker Washington catches the catches a football, I think he just, he could be a little bit too liable to try to like shake dudes and get around them. Keandre Lambert Smith is up and down with catching footballs, but like you mentioned, made a big play. Mitchell Tinsley goes out there. He snags the football and then he turns, he plants his foot, turns upfield and goes and wants to attack a defense and get guys, uh, on their heels. I mean, it was like, I'm really impressed by him. I think that he's going to end up being Penn state's best wide receiver this season. Uh, defense, you know, I've waxed poetic about him already. I think Joey Porter jr. Had a phenomenal game. Uh, and then I will say Barney Amore. I mean, I think that considering he had to win the punting job on the heels of Jordan Stout doing such an excellent job last season, 
uh, I thought he was phenomenal. I mean, I, it's going to get lost to it uh, because uh, Penn State's deep uh, coverage team knocked it into the end zone. But he literally dropped a ball that st- landed flat on the half-yard line. And, Unreal punt, man. Great for him. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he had a really stellar game in his first game. And a game where field position was really important with how uh, Purdue can move the ball. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, yeah. Any final thoughts, Matt? That's all I got. One to know. Excited uh, for Ohio. Yeah. See what that has in store. Um, and excited we get a nooner. I really, I, I love. They're 11 a.m. local time here in Chicago, and that is a phenomenal kickoff time. Yeah, I will. Um, uh, I will be in a wedding this weekend, oh, and nice. this game is this game is also at the exact same time as Manchester City against Tottenham. So I'm like. I'm I I apologize to the group. I'm going to be distracted. Uh, Thank you to everyone for listening to this edition of the podcast. As always, make sure you go and subscribe wherever you go and get your podcast. If you use Apple Podcasts, you use Spotify, please make sure you are leaving us a five star review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please head into the comments and be cool because YouTube is a very mean place sometimes and people don't deserve that. Uh, If you uh, want to make sure you follow us on all of our various social media channels and make sure if you uh, are a new customer to use the promo code roar lions roar for 15 percent off of your first home field apparel order one last time thank you everyone for listening to this edition of roar lions roar for matthew lipovitz i'm bill de filippo take care everyone